Hey, hey, you here? This thing on? You read me? You tuned in to the Paul Leslie Hour? Well, let me stop asking you questions and start introducing the episode. Now, you might have heard that at 95 years old, Harry Belafonte was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Oh, you did hear that. Well, speaking of Belafonte, we've got this interview with Michael Schneerson. The interview's from the archives and originally broadcast on radio, and we're presenting it for you today. Michael Schneerson is a journalist and a longtime contributor to Vanity Fair magazine. Schneerson's written several books, too, including the well-known book with Harry Belafonte, My Song, a Memoir. My Song, a Memoir tells the story of Harry Belafonte, called one of the greatest entertainers of our time. My Song takes the reader from Belafonte's early days as a child growing up in Harlem and Jamaica to his careers in acting and music. However, My Song is about more than Harry Belafonte, the singer. You may even know that Harry Belafonte was the first recording artist in history to sell one million copies of an album. Uh-huh. My Song was written with our guest, Michael Schneerson, and it's all about Harry Belafonte, the activist and humanitarian. Harry Belafonte is an important figure in the American civil rights movement, but Belafonte's passion has extended beyond the borders of the United States. Belafonte's been involved in political, social, and humanitarian causes around the world. Hey, did you know that you could help the Paul Leslie Hour in this quest to tell the human story? Here's a way you can do it for free. You just log on to YouTube, look up Paul Leslie's channel, and hit subscribe. And for goodness sakes, ding, ding, ring that bell. We're trying to double our subscribers on YouTube before we hit 20 years of these interviews, and that's coming up. But well, there is one more way you can help. Visit www.thepaulleslie.com slash support. Uh, you'll know what to do when you get there. And we thank you for subscribing, supporting, and especially for listening. Now let's hear this interview with journalist and author Michael Schneerson right here on The Paul Leslie Hour. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest on this episode of the Paul Leslie Hour is Michael Schneerson. The new book is Harry Belafonte, My Song, a memoir with Michael Schneerson. It's a great pleasure. Thanks, Paul. Nice to be with you. My first question, who is Michael Schneerson? <laughs> and why did he write this book? Um, well, I'm, uh, I'm a longtime contributing editor to Vanity Fair, and I have written for other books on sort of rather disparate subjects. But the most recent of those had some connection to, to getting me to the Harry book, which uh, that book was called Coal River. It came out in 2008, and it was about these West Virginians struggling against this terrible scourge of what they call mountaintop coal mining. And Harry read that book and liked it, and that was one reason that he asked if I would uh, work with him. Is Mr. Belafonte a big reader? 
You know, I think he has been at times in his life. I mean, he's the first to say that he dropped out of ninth grade uh, in the 40s, and for some time after that, he felt he really wasn't a reader. But then uh, when he came back from uh, serving in the Navy in the war, he became swept up by the theater, and he became a great student of, of drama, of plays. I think ever since, he, he has been a reader. He is certainly a very articulate guy, which made my job a lot easier. I kind of want to go back a little. What was life sure. like for you growing up? Well, I grew up in Manhattan on the Upper West Side. Uh, my father was a journalist, actually, for Time Magazine, and I had, I guess, a sort of barely upper middle class upbringing in that, uh, that I went to collegiate school, which was a private school um, on 77th Street. And actually, <laughs> looking back on it, it's, it's sort of ironic, I guess, or at least striking that Harry was only a few blocks away living his life on 75th and West End. And I'm, I should perhaps add, I'm 56 and, and, and Harry is 84. So <laughs> we were worlds apart in, in various ways. But geographically, we, we were actually rather close. So tell us, when did you become acquainted or when were you exposed to Harry Belafonte? Well, I mean, certainly as I grew up, my family had his records. I knew his music. I feel that I was probably, as someone who is 56, kind of at the tail end of those who were being exposed to his music when it first appeared. I mean, remember his, his million-selling album, Calypso, came out in, I think it was 56, 1956, and he was the hottest singer in the world probably that year, even hotter than Elvis, believe it or not. So I was then very young, but you know, when I got to be eight or 10 years old in the 60s, people were still playing Harry's records, and that was my exposure to him. But that was, that was it. And how did you meet Harry Belafonte personally? Well, this is one of those serendipities of, of publishing. I live now on the east end of Long Island in a town called Bridgehampton, one of my good friends uh, who lives in Sag Harbor on the weekends is, is a, a, an editor at uh, Random House. Uh, Peter Gathers is his name. He, he was the one who signed up Harry uh, initially to, to do what was going to be uh, a memoir that Harry would write. That was back in about 2008, I think. You know, Harry struggled with that. He knew all the stories he wanted to tell. He just, I mean, he'd never written a book before, and he just struggled to get them on the page, and finally he said that he really needed a writer to help him. Peter put my hat in the ring along with about uh, three other writers, and uh, fortunately, uh, Harry chose me. So that, that was about 2009. The book is called Harry Belafonte, My Song, a memoir with Michael Schneerson, and Michael Schneerson is our special guest. When you first met Harry Belafonte, what was your first impression of him? <laughs> well, that's a good question. He walked into Peter Gether's office at Random House, and he just radiated this energy of, I don't know, goodness and good humor. It's sort of remarkable. Uh, Peter had told me, actually, that, that when he first met Harry, he and the head of uh, Canop, Sonny Mehta, had Harry into their office, and Harry just started telling these stories. And, but, you know, by the time... They'd heard 20 minutes of stories. They said, that's it. We're signing you up. <laughs> Here's a contract. We're excited. And I felt the same way when I met him. 
he's he's an enormous you know sort of force of 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 nature i suppose is one way to put it but he's a happy man he's a passionate man he's certainly as probably most of your listeners know passionate about social causes those are never far from his mind and he's also funny he's really one of the funniest people i've ever met and so it was absolutely a delight and i could only hope that he would feel that i was right for him and thankfully he did I'm really grateful that this book came along because it's like he's finally getting his due. He's finally getting a book because I think I might have shared this with you earlier. As you know, I'm a huge Belafonte buff. Yeah. I went to the library one day and I asked the librarian, can you help me find a book about Harry Belafonte? Thinking that there has to be a few of them. And a couple yeah. people didn't believe me when I said that the only two books were written for young adults, and they were written a long time ago. Why do yeah. you think there has been no book about this man? Well, I certainly wonder that myself. You know, as public a figure as he was in the 50s and, and 60s, he was a very private man about his life. He, he didn't feel the need to, certainly to, to write an autobiography, and, and he was still then quite young. I mean, he was in his 20s and his 30s. So that was really the farthest thing from his mind. There was one biography of him written back in about 1960, but it was sort of a cut and paste job, as we say, because Harry chose not to cooperate with that person. He just didn't see the need for any book about him. And then why no book since then? Well, I, I, Harry did have this meteoric rise, celebrity and fame, in the 50s uh, that, that lasted well through the 60s. And in a way, radiated ever since. However, I think it would be fair to say that by the late 60s, early 70s, he was not reaching newer or younger generations. He was reaching the one that had gone with him in the first place. And it just, you know, I think from probably since he didn't want to cooperate and he was no longer quite at the apex of his celebrity, it just didn't make sense to, for someone else to write a, a biography about him. So uh, to me, it was, it was an enormous, as a writer, as a journalist, it was a great bit of, of good fortune that nothing had been done. I mean, this was fresh territory indeed. What was your initial thought when you were approached, do you want to be a part of this book? To be honest, my initial thought was, well, this is a very interesting possibility. I know Harry Belafonte as the singer he, he is or was. But I hadn't done that kind of book before. I'd, I'd written four books of my own. I was not, you know, someone champing at the bit to, to, do, to do a collaborative work. It was actually not until I began to read more about Harry's uh, civil rights work that I got really excited because I realized this wasn't just a, an entertainer's story. This was really an American story. This was a story about essential chunks of history in the mid-20th century, the most important one being the whole civil rights movement, because he was centrally involved. And that got me very excited. As you just mentioned, there are so many different facets to Belafonte. You just mentioned his involvement with the civil rights movement. What was the process of researching for this book like? <laughs> well, the first time I actually went over to, to meet with Harry, uh, he still lives uh, on the Upper West Side of, of Manhattan, I said, all right, Harry, let's start by looking at all your archives and 
all your troves of letters and all that stuff. And he looked at me and said, I don't have any of that stuff. I said, what? <laughs> he said, no, I, I never imagined I would write a book, and I never kept any of that stuff. No letter, no papers, no clippings. Uh, well, he did have a sort of clip service from yellowed clips from the 1950s. And, and, and later I did see some of those. But, you know, honestly, it was really, I mean, he said it was in his head, and I'm not sure I entirely believed him, but as he began to tell these stories of his childhood, they were riveting, and I realized, my God, he is one of these very rare people who really does have a, a, not only a fascinating life, but a fascinating life that he can still tell in vivid stories. So, you know, he would tell these stories, and then I would go out and do the, the obvious kind of research to kind of fill in the chink. You know, if he would mention a movie that, like Island and Sun that he was in in 1957, I would go back and easily confirm exactly when the filming was and you know maybe what was going on at the time you know it was interesting in that particular instance that that was an interracial romance movie quite a good movie by the way should your listeners want to uh, rent it now island in the sun at the same time that harry was uh undergoing a a divorce from his first wife who was black and secretly marrying his second wife who was white and so there was a fascinating confluence between what was going on publicly and privately in his life and sometimes doing research would help, you know, highlight those those connections. Our special guest is Michael Schneerson. The book is entitled Harry Belafonte, My Song, A Memoir with Michael Schneerson. Did you listen to a lot of the music? Harry Belafonte has such a vast discography of all types of music. As part of research for this book, did you go back and listen to all those albums? Oh, I, I listened to quite a few of them, for sure, enough to really learn in a way that I hadn't taken in when I was a kid hearing them, but really learn how wide his range was, how brilliant he was to, for example, not just mine Calypso, but to record folk songs, essential folk songs from all cultures, so that he would be expressing those those feelings of, of working men who wrote those songs, but he also wouldn't be pigeonholed, you know, in Calypso, which could really have happened to him in about 1956. So I certainly listened to enough music to appreciate all that. I didn't, I have to say, go right through his discography and listen to everything, because ultimately this was not a memoir about the records so much as it really was about the man, and, and that I was getting from him directly. What is the most remarkable thing you learned as a result of writing my song? I didn't realize that Harry, in the early 1960s, when John Kennedy became president, Harry by then was working with Martin Luther King very closely. I knew that as I began to do some, some research and as we began to get up toward that stage in his storytelling. I didn't know, however that Harry was really kind of the, the central conduit between the Kennedys on the one hand, that is to say John and, and, and Bobby, his attorney general, between the Kennedys on the one hand and Martin Luther King and the rest of the movement on the other. The fact is that the Kennedys were sort of blindsided by civil rights. You know, they, they, John Kennedy got into office in 1961. He just thought civil rights was sort of an annoyance. And, and if you threw a few bones to these protesting blacks down south, they should just calm down. And, of course, it was an exploding social movement, and it wasn't going to just go away. 
And the Kennedys began to realize they really needed uh, contacts with this movement, and they, they weren't very comfortable with um, Southern Baptist ministers who surrounded Martin Luther King. They were much more comfortable with an urbane celebrity like Harry, who could appreciate their point of view while also being Dr. King's emissary. And there was a lot of back-channel, important dialogue that went on between the Kennedys and King. Harry was the facilitator of that, and that was really fascinating to me. For anyone that reads my song, what do you want the reader to take away from the experience of reading? I think anyone who reads this book will, will appreciate just the, the breadth and depth of, of Harry's career achievements and the degree to which his life is a kind of bright line through much of the 20th century. I think anyone will appreciate that. But what I would hope readers would also appreciate is just the, the, the degree of, of Harry's commitment to social causes, to really combating injustice wherever he saw it. And that's something that we, we need more of. We need that DNA to get passed to the rest of us. And it's fascinating, I might just add, to see this whole Occupy Wall Street movement really mushrooming. Harry is fascinated by it. He's fascinated and impressed by the fact that it is being conducted very much as a nonviolent campaign, which it was, of course, Dr. King's whole M.O. And, and, and very much Harry's. So it's cheering to think maybe in some way that DNA is being passed on, but that's what I would hope a reader would come away with. I have two final questions for our special guest, Michael Schneerson. What is the best thing about being Michael Schneerson? <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> My first answer would be my 16-year-old daughter, Jenna, whom I adore. But you know, I think I am fortunate to be able to have a life that's balanced between magazine writing for Vanity Fair and book writing. It's not something I necessarily set out to do, but it's a very nice balance. Whenever I'm between magazine stories, assuming I have a book going, I can always fall back on the book. And it's just a very nice rhythm of work and one that has enabled me to learn about all sorts of different subjects, be paid for it. <laughs> so I think that's what I feel I'm luckiest for. My last question, in reading the book, My Song, one of the things that is so fascinating about Harry, the music that he's most famous for is Caribbean influence, yet he yep. has fans all over the world, Germany. Right. My last question, for anybody who listens to our interview, wherever they are, what would you like to say to the people listening? I think I would like to say that Harry Belafonte really is a kind of international ambassador. He very much set out to be that. He actually worked for the Peace Corps and then for UNICEF, and he was very serious about those commitments. And whenever he went to Europe and gave concerts, he not only gave all his all as a singer, he also expressed political views, which were not always the prevalent views that, that the U.S. State Department would have liked him to express. In other words, he really connected with people all over the world. And I think that that, that makes him a very rare and marvelous person. And I would just hope that your audience would, would get that impression when they read my song, too. Well, Mr. Schneerson, first of all, thank you for writing this book. 
Second of all, thank you for joining me as an interview guest. Great, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for bringing your, your audience's attention to the book. Thank you for stopping by today. If you enjoyed our program, consider telling a friend about it. The Paul Leslie Hour is made possible through people just like you. So you want to keep the show going, right? Go to thepaulleslie.com. That's thepaulleslie.com. Click on Support the Show. And thanks to everyone who contributes. Performance of the intro music is courtesy of John Primerano, the entertainer, written by Scott Joplin. End credit theme music is courtesy of John Primerano, the traditional song, Corina, Corina. Your announcer is Dan Gold. Hey, that's me. The show is hosted and produced by Paul Leslie. And we'll see you next time on the Paul Leslie Hour.